Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Jeffrey Dahmer? Jeffrey Dahmer is one of the most notorious serial killers who ever lived. He is in the company of other horrible offenders like Richard Ramirez, Gary Ridgway, Ted Bundy, David Berkowitz, John Wayne Gacy, Dennis Rader, Harold Shipman, and Joseph James D'Angelo. First, I'll look at the background of Jeffrey Dahmer, move to the timeline of the crime, and offer my analysis. There are many facets to the Jeffrey Dahmer case. My analysis will center on his life experiences, like how did those experiences predict or contribute to his later behavior. Starting with the background, Jeffrey Dahmer was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on May 21, 1960. His father, Lionel, was a chemistry student at that time. His mother, Joyce, was a teletype machine instructor. Her pregnancy was difficult, perhaps a sign of things to come. In 1966, Joyce had a second son. His name was David. Jeffrey was largely ignored as a child because his mother sought a lot of attention. One of his teachers believed Jeffrey was showing signs of neglect, like no one was looking after him. Just before he turned four years old, Jeffrey had double hernia surgery, which was undoubtedly a painful experience. Jeffrey kept to himself in school, but he did have a few friends. He developed an interest in animal bones from an early age. When he was four years old, he saw his father cleaning out animal bones from underneath of the house. In October 1966, about two months before his brother was born, the family moved to Doylestown, Ohio. After earning his PhD in analytical chemistry in November of that same year, Lionel found a job in Akron as a chemist. The family moved to a house in Bath Township, Ohio in 1968. In 1970, Jeffrey's father showed him how to bleach and preserve animal bones. Jeffrey started collecting, dissecting, and preserving dead animals. Later, Lionel would say that he was not aware of what Jeffrey was doing. Whatever success Jeffrey experienced socially when he was in elementary school ended when he entered high school. By this point, he was viewed as a bizarre loner who would frequently play pranks. Jeffrey started drinking various types of alcohol, including beer. He would hide the alcohol in his jacket when he was in school. Initially, the high school teachers did not have the same negative opinion of Jeffrey. They found him to be intelligent and polite, although his grades were only average. For a while, he was in the band and played tennis. Around the same time, Jeffrey realized that he was gay. He kept this information to himself, 
for the most part. For example, he did not tell his parents. He had a brief relationship with a teenage boy, but no sex was involved. Jeffrey started having fantasies about sexual domination. He even armed himself with a baseball bat and hid in bushes with the intent of attacking a jogger, but the jogger did not pass by the location on that particular day. If the man had come by, it appears as though Jeffrey would have attacked him, and this would have been the beginning of his homicidal career. By 1977, the relationship between Jeffrey's parents was in serious trouble. They went to counseling, but it did not help enough to save the marriage. Jeffrey's mother had an affair in September of 1977. Jeffrey's parents decided to divorce. Toward the end of his time in high school, Jeffrey's academic performance decreased dramatically, but he still managed to graduate in June 1978. This was two months before his parents' divorce was finalized. Joyce and Jeffrey's younger brother, David, moved to Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Jeffrey was left alone to his own devices. It did not take him long to begin his career as a serial killer. On June 18, 1978, Jeffrey used alcohol to lure a hitchhiker to his house and murdered him with a 10-pound dumbbell. He disposed of the body through the use of cutting, acid, and a sledgehammer. Six weeks later, Jeffrey enrolled at Ohio State University. He wanted to study business, but he mostly studied drinking. After one semester, his GPA was 0.45. He never returned for a second semester. Jeffrey enlisted in the Army. He was discharged in March 1981 due to his excessive alcohol use. Jeffrey spent a few months in Miami Beach, Florida, before moving back to Ohio. He was arrested two weeks later for drunk and disorderly conduct. Jeffrey's father tried to help him to stop drinking, but nothing seemed to work. In December 1981, Jeffrey was sent to West Allis, Wisconsin, to live with his grandmother. Lionel believed that her affectionate nature would convince Jeffrey to stop drinking. In Wisconsin, Jeffrey found the job as a phlebotomist, but he was laid off after 10 months. On August 7, 1982, just before Jeffrey lost his job, he was arrested for indecent exposure. His grandmother supported him financially until he found work again in January 1985, so a few years later. He worked in a chocolate factory. Jeffrey was having difficulty controlling his sexual desires throughout this time. At one point, he took a male mannequin from a store and used it for gratification. He spent a lot of time in bathhouses in Milwaukee and frequently had sex. Jeffrey was irritated when a partner would move during sex. It sounds like he was still holding on to feelings for the mannequin. Jeffrey started drugging his partners with alcohol and sedatives. The bathhouses revoked his membership. Jeffrey tried to dig up the corpse of an 18-year-old man who recently died, but he gave up because the ground was too hard. On September 8, 1986, Jeffrey was arrested for lewd and lascivious behavior. Later, he pleaded guilty to disorderly conduct. On November 20, 1987, Jeffrey murdered his second victim by beating him to death in a hotel in Milwaukee. He used a suitcase to move the body to his grandmother's home, where he disposed of it using a variety of methods. Jeffrey killed two more victims over the next several months, one in January 1988 and another in March. 
He rendered his victims unconscious with drugs and strangled them. Jeffrey's grandmother kicked him out of her home in September 1988 because of his drinking. Jeffrey rented a one-bedroom apartment on North 24th Street in Milwaukee. He was arrested in September for drugging and making contact with a 13-year-old boy, but nobody knew about the murders at that point. He pleaded guilty in January 1989. In March of that same year, which was about two months before he was sentenced, Jeffrey murdered another victim. This was the only time he committed murder in 1989. In May, Jeffrey was sentenced to a year in prison and five years probation. He was eligible for work release and was able to keep his job. Ten months later, he was released. He briefly lived with his grandmother before moving to an apartment on North 25th Street. Jeffrey killed four more people in 1990, one in May, one in June, and two in September. In 1991, Jeffrey murdered eight more people, one in February, one in April, two in May, one in June, and three in July. Jeffrey Dahmer killed 17 people in total. He was trying to kill a fourth victim in July when the man escaped and flagged down a police car. Jeffrey was arrested and eventually confessed. He pleaded guilty but insane to 15 counts of first-degree murder. Jeffrey had committed one murder in Ohio, and there wasn't enough evidence to prosecute him for his first murder in Wisconsin. Jeffrey Dahmer was sentenced to 15 life terms in prison. He was extradited to Ohio to be tried for his first murder. He pleaded guilty and was sentenced to his 16th term of life in prison. Jeffrey repeatedly said that he deserved to die and did not care what happened to him in prison. On November 28, 1994, an inmate named Christopher Scarver murdered Jeffrey and another inmate named Jesse Anderson. Christopher beat them to death with a 20-inch metal bar. Jeffrey Dahmer was 34 years old. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface, to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people, to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. After moving away and leaving Jeffrey behind, Jeffrey's mother Joyce worked as a case manager in California until she died of breast cancer in 2000 at the age of 64. Jeffrey's father remarried in 1978. According to the Ohio Resident Database, 86-year-old Lionel Dahmer lives with his wife in Seville, which is about a half hour west of Akron. Now moving to my analysis. Jeffrey Dahmer is one of the most unusual serial killers in history for a number of reasons. He targeted men. Some of his murders involved 
cannibalism, and necrophilia, his high tolerance for the odor of decaying bodies, and Jeffrey was fascinated with the preservation of body parts. When Jeffrey was assessed by mental health professionals, they could not agree on a diagnosis. The clinicians stacked on many different disorders. For example, alcohol use disorder, brief psychotic disorder, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and four different personality disorders, borderline, schizotypal, antisocial, and obsessive-compulsive. Some mental health clinicians said that Jeffrey did not have any mental disorders. As I've talked about many times, diagnosing is a weakness of every mental health profession, especially when the client may have a reason to lie. Even still, Jeffrey seemed to be particularly perplexing to the clinicians. With all this in mind, let's take a look at a few items from Jeffrey's life experiences, which may offer some insight into what happened in this case. Item number one, Jeffrey's mother, Joyce, was described as depressed, disagreeable, and as having histrionic traits. At one point, she may have even had psychotic symptoms. Joyce was always trying to be the center of attention. She spent much of her time in bed. She had illness anxiety. She always thought something was physically wrong with her. Throughout her marriage, Joyce became increasingly distant from the family as she increased her use of drugs, like tranquilizers. After she moved to California, Joyce tried to bring an end to her own life on one occasion. From Jeffrey's perspective, Joyce was unavailable and always anxious and irritable. Item number two, Jeffrey's father has shared his feelings about Jeffrey a few times over the last several decades. He said that he felt responsible for what happened. Lionel was ashamed of his behavior. He said that he should have done more to keep track of what Jeffrey was doing. Lionel tried to convince Jeffrey to find purpose in his life. Specifically, he wanted Jeffrey to accept Jesus Christ as his savior. Jeffrey was not receptive to recognizing any purpose in his life. He was secretive and would never really communicate in a meaningful way. When looking at the statements made by Jeffrey's father, there is the sense that Lionel really wanted to help Jeffrey and understood how the intense arguments with his wife were troubling to Jeffrey. Joyce never recognized these arguments as harmful. She denied they had anything to do with Jeffrey becoming a killer. Lionel appeared to be genuinely interested in figuring out what went wrong. He wanted to know what led Jeffrey to become homicidal. As a scientist, I think that Lionel was disappointed that in the end, he wasn't able to determine why Jeffrey became a killer. Item number three, from a young age, Jeffrey developed a fascination with death and bodies. He would try to find animal bones, and he would examine living creatures in order to figure out how their bones were situated in their bodies. He dissected and preserved dead animals. Eventually, he even collected roadkill. Jeffrey constructed an animal cemetery in his backyard. On one occasion in 1975, Jeffrey cut up the body of a dog and impaled the head on a stick in the woods behind his house. He tried to convince his friends that he just happened to find it that way. As I mentioned, later in life, Jeffrey even tried to dig up a corpse to satisfy his desires. Many serial killers are resistant to the natural reaction of being disgusted by death. But Jeffrey Dahmer was more than simply resistant. He was attracted to death. Item number four, 
Jeffrey went to his prom with a 16-year-old classmate named Bridget Geiger. He left in the middle of the dance to get a hamburger. A few weeks after the prom, Jeffrey invited her to a party at his house. Seven people were there in total. Jeffrey was having a seance. After he tried to contact Satan, Bridget left and never saw him again. She said that she felt uncomfortable around him because he was so weird and so emotionless. Item number five, Jeffrey Dahmer was known to play pranks in school and to harass people at a local shopping mall. He would often pretend that he had various medical disorders, which caused his movements to be erratic, like neurological conditions. Most people who are shy do not engage in pranks. They are not looking for attention. I think that Jeffrey probably did this because he was exceptionally lonely. He was tragically socially awkward, but he desperately wanted some type of connection with people. What's different about Jeffrey was that he didn't really care if the people were alive or dead. In some ways, especially later in his criminal career, Jeffrey preferred people who were not responsive. For example, he tried injecting victims with chemicals to make them into zombies. Unable to accomplish this goal, Jeffrey was satisfied to spend time with dead victims. Item number six, what do I think happened in the case of Jeffrey Dahmer? This is just a theory, my opinion. Jeffrey was raised by a mother who was attention-seeking and emotionally distant, and a father who was analytical and conscientious. His parents frequently had intense arguments. Jeffrey would walk outside to escape the fighting. He desired for the situation to calm down. He wanted everything around him to be quiet. For some reason, Jeffrey never developed a sense of disgust for dead animals or decaying organic matter. Rather, he was fascinated by death. His social skills were poorly developed, so he didn't have any way to understand people at an emotional level, but he could understand the physical mechanics of living organisms, including humans. As Jeffrey grew older, he developed an intense sexual attraction to the male chest. That was the part of the body that he was fascinated with. Jeffrey became a sexual domination serial killer. He wanted to control his victims completely. To Jeffrey, dissecting, consuming, and receiving sexual gratification from corpses was part of the domination. These actions were an extension of his desire to dominate and were facilitated by his unusual lack of aversion to dead bodies and his desire to have no disturbances. Again, he wanted everything around him to be calm. For much of his life, Jeffrey consumed alcohol excessively. He was polite when he wasn't drinking, but belligerent when intoxicated. The alcohol removed whatever limitations Jeffrey attempted to maintain as far as his behavior. Jeffrey Dahmer was not delusional, but he was depressed and had extreme personality traits. He did not have a specific reason to hate his victims. Rather, Jeffrey despised all human beings. His crimes came from a place of complete selfishness and a tremendous sense of entitlement. Other human beings were simply objects to Jeffrey Dahmer. In one sense, Jeffrey also viewed himself as an object. He was simply a biological robot following a set of pre-programmed guidelines. Just like Jeffrey was unable to appreciate the emotions of others, he could not appreciate or understand his own emotions. He did not really view his actions as a choice. Rather, he felt as though he was compelled. 
Perhaps he thought it was like an instinct. Jeffrey never asked for mercy after he was arrested. He understood that people wanted him to be punished and to die. He did not disagree with their desires. Now moving to my final thoughts. Almost every notorious serial killer had a troubled childhood, but that alone is usually not enough to cause somebody to kill. No matter what genetic or environmental characteristics contributed to Jeffrey's behavior, he needed more supervision and less alcohol. Jeffrey was left to his own devices, which permitted him to capitalize on every negative characteristic he possessed. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.